Today we're continuing our sermon series of Advent messages titled Four Words for Christmas. Advent means coming or arrival. And in the church, it refers to the four Sundays before Christmas. And for about a thousand years now, uh, the church has used the Advent season to celebrate the incarnation, that is the, the coming of God himself to the earth in human form. Now, so far, we've seen uh, the Christmas story, the story with which we're largely familiar, is really but one chapter of a much larger and more sweeping narrative that's filled with hope. That's what that word is right there. Hope that things don't always have to stay the way they are. And then last week, we saw that Advent is all about joy, which is there. Followers of Jesus uh, are invited into a life that uh, is filled with joy, that is extraordinary enthusiasm for life, a deep-seated gratefulness that everything we have comes from the good hand of a gracious God. And today we're going to discover that uh, Advent, God's heart, is for families, grandmothers, grandfathers, moms, dads, kids, grandkids, cousins, aunts, and uncles. And then next week, we'll look at the crowning word of Christmas, which is love. And then I want to remind you that we'll conclude our Advent celebrations with a 4 p.m. candlelight service on Christmas Eve. You received a couple of invitations in your program. There are additional invites available at the uh, Info Center if you'd like to invite family, friends, co-workers, uh, classmates. We'd love to have you join us. Let's pray together. Lord, we're just grateful for this brand new day, the start of a brand new week. And Lord, we're especially grateful for our kids. Thank you for kids. Thank you for each and every kid that you've, uh, that you've given in our church family, Lord. Thank you that the image of Christ is being formed in them. And we pray that you would fill their minds and hearts and lives with positive, faith-filled, life-changing memories of church. Lord, thank you. Teach us as adults what it means to be childlike as we enter the kingdom. And help us not to stand in the way of any kid coming to you. Because you said, Lord, uh, allow the children to come to me. So, Lord, we welcome you here among us today. Put power on this service to your glory and to our benefit in your name. Amen. All right. Hey, I'd like to uh, break the mold on Sunday morning now and begin with an informal survey with our vineyard kids. And I'd like to ask you, what do you like most about Advent or Christmas? You're going to raise your hand. We're going to get a, an informal survey here, kids. What do you like most about Christmas? Anybody brave enough to answer? Lizzie? Okay, so spending time with family and getting to eat good food and have presents, right? Seth? The food, all right. Anybody else? What do you like best? Luke, helping the poor, all right. The day Jesus was born. Opening presents and sledding, awesome. Back there, Lauren. Time with the family, and one more. Peyton, is that you back there in that shepherd or angelic costume? 
Shout out so we can hear you. All the snow. All right. Well, in our real-time scientific waiting of all the answers that were just shared, I think it's uh, pretty conclusive that there's no better time in the world to be a kid than Christmas, right? Would you all agree? No better time in the world to be a kid? I mean, you get a couple of weeks off from school with no homework to enjoy the snow and go sledding. You get to stay up late, watch movies, play video games, eat, eat, eat. That is candy, candy, candy. You get to go to grandma and grandpa's house or other extended family. You get to open presents on Christmas Eve or Christmas morning or whenever it is you guys and gals get to open presents. Man, to be a kid at Christmas is as good as it ever gets, isn't it? Now, I remember when I was a kid, that was way, way long time ago. Uh, we got to go to my grandpa and grandma Hare's house. They lived on Evergreen Circle right off Northmore Road by Richwoods High School. And it was on Christmas Eve. We visited there with all my uh, aunts and uncles and cousins. My first cousin, Betty, was there every Christmas Eve. And uh, you remember this, don't you, Betty? I mean, we, there was food and presents. Everybody brought a gift, and we piled it high on the ping-pong table in the basement. And there was a huge mound because it seemed like there were hundreds of family members there, at least in the, in the recollection of a young kid. And we, uh, we would sneak a black-and-white television. You guys don't even know what one of those is, but... Uh, <laughs> Okay, there you are. We would sneak a television into the basement, a 19-inch Magnavox, because back then having a TV was against the church rules. And so my grandparents didn't have one, but somehow it would just appear in their basement, and we got to watch one of those old black-and-white movies, Miracles on 34th Street or Christmas Carol. And then all the kids got to carefully select and open one of those presents from the table. And the the gift that I'll remember the most is one year I received a box of Lifesaver candy. It was just like something I'll treasure. I've kept that box ever since I... uh... (laughs) Uh, That's not really true. This isn't that box, but it's the same idea. Um, And no doubt each of you kids can't wait to open your presents either, can you? Oh, you're just filled with excitement, can't hardly wait. And here's the secret. It gives us parents and grandparents great joy to actually uh, bless you with something that brings you excitement and joy. Because, you see, that means all of us as parents and grandparents get to experience the powerful truth of Jesus' statement, it's more blessed to give than to receive. So the holidays, especially Christmas, are often marked with spending time with your family. We've already heard that from a number of our kids today. And our families come in all kinds of constellations, don't they? That that means there's no one mold for today's family. We have single-parent families. We have blended families, some with his kids, some with her kids, some with his and her kids, some with their kids. We have nuclear or conjugal families, and that would be where a household consists of a mother and a father and their children all in one household or dwelling. We have skipped generation families today where uh, grandparents are raising their grandkids, as are some of you. Um, It's estimated, interestingly, that in the United States, between 7 and 13% of all households are multi-generational in this way today. We have LGBT families. We have long-distance families where husband and wife and kids and stepkids live in different cities. 
We have childless couple families, some by choice, many by infertility. We have domestic partnership families. An increasing number of couples and their children cohabit before marriage and are now a regular part of the American family landscape. And maybe your family is even different than the few that I've chosen to describe. But the first simple and powerful truth is this. There is no one-size-fits-all mold for today's family. And here's a second but equally powerful, simple truth. When you were born into a family, God placed you exactly where he wanted. You know that? You had no choice in the matter, did you? No, you were there. You're, you have no choice uh, uh, who your parents were, who your brothers and sisters were, what part of the world in which you grew up, uh, your early childhood religious training or lack thereof, your elementary uh, educational experiences, whether you went to private school or public school or you were homeschooled. Uh, you didn't have any control over the older people that influenced your life and your values and your choices. Extended uh, family like uh, uh, your aunts and uncles or your cousins or, or your coaches or your teachers or your pastors. No control over that. It was all God's choice. God gave you the parents that you had, good or bad. God gave you the extended family that you had, good or bad. Nothing takes him by surprise. He has used and is now using your extended family to mold and shape you into who you are today. Now, it is true that much of it depends upon your cooperation. Young boys and girls, you know that, don't you? Your parents are always encouraging you to cooperate. It requires your active participation. And that isn't to say either that everything that you've experienced in your family is representative of what life, when, when God rules as king, is supposed to be like. That is to say, not everything in your family is the will of God. You know, that's because he's given us all the freedom and ability to think and to, to choose of our own uh, volition. We, we can elect to obey or disobey. And because he's given us these choices, sometimes our parents made bad or poor choices. Sometimes that means we make poor choices. And sometimes that means that the people we love dearly, those in our family, make poor choices. So no family is perfect, is it? Far from perfect, actually. Do you know that Jesus' family was actually far from perfect, too? Yeah, so now in just a few minutes, all the... The young adults, uh, emerging young adults from Vineyard Kids are, are going to share with us in the very familiar text. Yeah, this is the Adams family. Well, I, it's Adams family. You'll meet Adam in just a moment if you haven't met him yet before. He's actually the handsome gentleman in the plaid shirt in the back row who looks like he just saw a scary spider or something. To those of you who are listening on the podcast, don't have any idea what we're talking about. You'll just have to pay us a visit and see the slideshow. But anyway, um, what I was saying is that in just a few moments, Adam and Carrie are some of our key um, leaders in our kids program. We're going to help them uh, share with us in a rather dramatic fashion the very familiar story from Luke's gospel about uh, the birth narrative of Jesus. Uh, But what you don't often think about is the story behind the story. That is to say, uh, the scandal that marked Jesus' first century Jewish family. 
Now, we know nothing of his grandparents other than their names. Now, interestingly, this is unusual because in the Jewish culture, you always honored your extended family, your, your extended family, your parents, your grandparents, and your great-grandparents. That was central to the culture, but not in Jesus' case. Matthew and Luke tell us in their Gospels that there were some less than perfect people in the family tree. And there were five women of ill repute in the genealogy, which was very unusual. These were the relatives that nobody talked about. Now, Mary was likely very young, probably a teenager, just a few years older than some of you. Uh, She became pregnant before her wedding, and this meant that Jesus as a young boy, would have grown up with a small-town gossip and with the stain of illegitimacy. It's perhaps where the original phrase, who's your daddy, actually started. Now, there were nine months of awkward explanations and the lingering scent of a scandal as Joseph denied premarital relations, and both he and Mary claimed that an angel had said that her baby was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now, Joseph and Mary were poor, and we know that because the offering that they presented at her purification, according to the law of Moses, was supposed to be a lamb. But the book of Leviticus made provision for poor parents to bring two turtle doves or two pigeons. So think of Jesus growing up in a poor, working-class, blue-collar family. His father was a, a carpenter, or more likely a cabinet maker or a furniture maker. Do you know that Jesus had four half-brothers? Count them, four. James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. And the Gospel of Matthew tells us that he had at least several sisters. So count them. That's at least six siblings, brothers and sisters. So Jesus grew up in a poor, big, blended family, just like some of you live in. And you know that blended families are filled with all kinds of complications, the jealousies and rivalries and accusations of leniency or favoritism, all the stuff that goes with a normal blended family. That's how Jesus grew up. And it's interesting that none of the inhabitants of his town, town called Nazareth, expected Jesus to show any wisdom or accomplish anything substantial because when he actually began his ministry at about age 30, they were highly offended. They said, who's this guy think he is? He's just the carpenter's son. Well, we know him. And so the fact that uh, that they didn't expect Jesus to demonstrate any wisdom or accomplish something substantial is evidenced by their reaction. It's perhaps out of courtesy that the Holy Spirit draws a curtain over Jesus' growing up years to shield us from the actual ugly details of the trauma that he may have experienced as a kid growing up in that family, in that culture. I'm going to tie my shoe because I just untied it. And I know Simon was worried that I was going to trip over it. Thankfully, his his gaze down at my foot called attention to the fact that my shoe was untied. I'm doing my best job to imitate Mr. Rogers today with this, with this zip-up fleece, by the way. 
Cool, Mr. Rust. Thank you, Jeff. We appreciate that. But Jesus' family life was far from perfect, is what I'm illustrating. Can we begin to see that today, maybe in a way we've never seen before? Maybe his family actually felt a lot like yours. Now, if we're ruthlessly honest, we would all admit that all of our families are far from perfect. In the Hare family, we just say it this way. We put the fun in dysfunctional. (laughs) But here's a third simple and powerful truth about families. And that's that whatever constellation your family looks like and whatever far from perfect challenges your family has, God wants to move in your family. Now, over the last several weeks, we've been reminded of the core truths of Advent represented in the words hope and joy. Hope that things don't have to stay the same and joy that God can fill us regardless of our challenges with an extraordinary enthusiasm for living because every good and perfect gift we have comes from him. But your family constellation, now the third word, your family constellation uh, the one from which you came or the one in which you're living right now, uh, we understand can be uh, perhaps a blessing, it can be challenging, or it can be outright difficult or some combination of the three. Some of you are, are fortunate, you've been extremely blessed by God. Others of you would say that you have faced or are facing a, a complex set of challenges of different kinds. Others of you would say that your experience in family has been chaotic or hurtful or even abusive or some mix of all three. But no matter what your constellation, God wants to move in your family. Jesus is the good news of great joy for your family, including all the people of your extended family. Now, some of you are already nodding in agreement, at least if not with your head in your heart, because you do a quick mental investigation of the landscape of your life, and you see God's favor and blessing everywhere. Others of you are shaking your heads, in incredulity, you know, you just don't believe it. You, you, you just cannot believe it that, that Jesus could possibly move in, in him or in her or in them or fix or restore something that's, that's currently broken. Well, friends, part of the problem might just be that the Jesus that your family uh, has known uh, has not been good news because they experienced him through you. <laughs> oh, oh, not you. I mean, I'm talking to the other people in the audience, you know. No, my point is that maybe at times our life or uh, someone else in the church uh, or someone else in the family uh, has not acted or talked like Jesus. And so our family's experience of Jesus has been less than uh, whole. But that's not a deal breaker for God. That, 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 that doesn't like change the, the fact that he wants to move in your family. He wants your family to know three things that, that we belong to God. You know, all of our life belongs to him. He, he created us and, and everything we have, our breath and soundness of mind and health and, and, and well-being. They all come from him. We are God's property and he wants every person in our extended family to know his love and his truth and his power and experience his forgiveness. Second thing he wants us to know is that we all matter to God. We're not just insignificant people. We're not just little kids who, you know, will grow up someday and then finally have a life. No, he, 
He wants us all to know that we we have a, a sense of identity as his son or his daughter, and we can be confident and secure in him, and, and we can fulfill the destiny that he's created for all of us. And thirdly, Jesus wants us to know that we can trust him. We can look to Jesus to provide for everything we need in order for our destiny to be lived out. Love and joy and peace and goodness and forgiveness and hope for the future and and material provision and freedom from fear and anxiety and all those kinds of things. Jesus wants us to be able to trust him. We belong to him. We matter to him when we can trust him. And so Jesus wants to break into every family constellation. No matter what size, no matter what shape, no matter how imperfect. Now, in the original sending of the 12 apostles in Luke chapter uh, 9, and then the the 70 in Luke chapter 10, uh, when he sent them out to proclaim the good news of great joy, that is that the kingdom of God was near, Jesus instructed them to find someone who would open their home or their household. And, and here's where, here's where his words in, in Luke 10, 5. Whenever you enter someone's home, first say, may God's peace be on this house. And if those who live there are peaceful, the blessing will stand. And if they're not, the blessing will return to you. Don't move around from house to house or home to home. Stay in one place. Now, we're going to do a little like lesson, and I know this may be a little tedious for some of you kids, but you're going to learn a brand new, really cool word right now, okay? Now, the word that's used for house in this text and in the New Testament is a Greek word from a different language, and it's pronounced oikos. Let's say that together. That's a really cool word, oikos. Now, it's kind of like the noise that a pig makes when it snorts, but it's a little different. That's oink. This is Oikos. Okay, you got it. Now, I think you're, you're showing off to your parents. Like, let, let's, let's say it one more time and we're like, we got, say, oikos. That's right. Now, now you know at least one Greek word. And I'll bet your parents didn't know that word. Now, we want to let all the adults in on the action too. So let's say it out loud together. Oikos. Okay. It, it, it's often translated in the New Testament, house or household. But it very seldom actually refers to a building where people live. It refers rather to the basic building block of society. We would say today, your personal community. Now, here's the point. While each of you, especially your adults, may know a dozen or several dozen or maybe even a hundred if you're really popular people, the number of people to whom we devote quality time is extremely limited. And these people, uh, your family and extended family and a few close acquaintances are called your personal community, your oikos, right, your house or your household in the New Testament. It's usually somewhere between about 9 to 12 people. And God's design is for his kingdom to penetrate your household, your oikos. God's design is for your personal community, your family constellation, to be touched by him. Jesus here in this instruction told his apostles, go out into new territory and find a man or a woman of peace who will welcome you into their household, their oikos, their extended personal community. So here's the deal. God wants to sweep entire households, oikos, into the kingdom. 
And he shows us this in the New Testament when the church actually began to unfold. Acts 2, we see God sweeping entire households into the kingdom. On the day of Pentecost, the day the church started, the apostle Peter preached a fabulous sermon. And at the end of his sermon, he finished with these words. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and all who are afar off. Yeah. Now, the children and to all who are afar afar off includes everyone in your oikos your family constellation. And there are two other striking illustrations of this principle in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 16, the story of Lydia. I'll cut to the chase and just tell you the story. Paul and Silas began their second missionary journey. They headed west into Greece and arrived at the city of Philippi, where they met Lydia. She was a wealthy fabric or textile merchant. And the Bible says in Acts 16, 15, that the Lord opened her heart to the good news of great joy, the Christmas story, the incarnation. And then the text reads in verse 15 that she was baptized along with other members of her household. What's that word, household? It is oikos, right? Her extended family constellation. And then there's one other story in Acts 16 with the Philippian jailer. So after casting a spirit, a demon spirit out of a of a woman who foretold the future, Paul and Silas created an uproar in that city. And as a result, they got thrown into prison. And while they were in prison, they were singing and sharing the gospel with the people in the prison. And at that moment, God sent an earthquake. It shook the prison and it opened up the doors. Now, the jailer who had assumed that Paul and Silas got out was going to take his life because in those days, when the jailer didn't do his or her job, you got killed. And so he's ready to fall on his sword. But Paul says, stop, we're we're all here. Trembling, the Bible says, he came in and said, men, what must I do to be saved? And here's what the Bible says in verse 31 of Acts 16. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And when they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household, even at that Hour of the night, the jailer then cared for them and washed their wounds. And then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. So God swept the Philippian jailer and his extended community, his oikos, into the kingdom. God wants to move through you and sweep your entire family, your oikos, your personal community, into the kingdom. What does this mean? Well, parents, it means it's for your kids. It's for your your sons-in-law, your daughters-in-law, your stepsons, your stepdaughters. Grandparents, it means to your grandkids. Grandkids, it means for your grandparents. Kids, it means to your mom and dad, uh, to your stepmom, to your stepdad. To everyone, it means your siblings, your brothers, your sisters, your your extended family, your cousins, your mother-in-law, your father-in-law. Jesus wants all of them to know that they belong to him, that they matter to him, that they can trust him, that he, he is the good news of great joy for them, that their sins can be forgiven, 
that they they can experience, not just know about, but in their heart, as we're going to sing about in just a moment, they can experience the good news of great joy. He wants to break into your extended family constellation and let them experience his love, his joy, his hope, his forgiveness. And you can trust him for that in the year to come. See, one of the things I love about Advent is that it it prepares the church for the anticipation of the coming of Jesus a second time at the end of the age. And so Advent is filled with a sense of anticipation. And this next year, all of us can be filled with a sense of anticipation about how God wants to break into our oikos, our family constellation, and see his love come. So let me wrap this up by just saying, okay, that was a quick trip through the, what the Bible says about family. Let me let me just share, share a few tips, because we're all heading into a season where we're likely going to spend some time with family, and I just want to share with you a couple of tips about spending time with your beautiful, well-dressed family. First, celebrate your family in all of its humanness. None of our families are perfect, and there's nothing you can do with how you got there. So quit trying to get it all perfect and right. Carry into your broken, far-from-perfect family the hope and the joy that we've already learned. Just carry it right in with you. Okay? And, and, and in doing that, in that celebrating, stick with the basics. Okay, kids, here's a fundamental basic lesson of families. Obey your mom and your dad. Pretty simple. That makes things in the holidays a lot easier, right, moms and dads? All the adults. We don't have to obey mom and dad. The Bible encourages us to honor our mother and father, for those of us who, whose parents are still living. Honor doesn't mean obey, but it means respect for the place uh, of life in which they occupy and the fact that they gave you birth. They are God's gift to you. Regardless of how they behaved or how ugly they treated you, they were God's gift to you. So kids, obey. Adults, honor. And then pray. Pray for your family along the lines that we've just come to understand today, that that your extended family, your family constellation, your oikos, that they'd come to, to know that they belong to God, really, experientially, that they matter to him. And thirdly, that they too can trust him in the same way that you trust him. And then pray like crazy for the grace you're going to need to spend two or three days with your crazy family. Just pray for grace. God wants to answer that prayer. Okay, it didn't take him by surprise that you're going to spend a few days with your family. And so just pray, God, give me the grace to get through. Grace for a couple of days. Fill me with hope. Fill me with joy when I'm with my family. And then last, just ask God to empower you to extend love to your family. And here's the verse that I think might be helpful. First Peter chapter four, verse eight. We read this. Most important of all. Let's go back there and reread those two, three, four words again. Okay. Say it out loud with me, will you? Most important of all. Let's keep reading. Continue to show deep love for each other for love covers a multitude of sins. That's good. And that's God's heart as we head into the holiday. Now, you know what? That verse tells us that we're called to love. We're not called to fix our family. 
We're not called to straighten out our family. We're not called to straighten them out theologically. We're not called to correct their mistakes. We're not called to to castigate their past. What are we called to do? Show deep love. Why? Because the love that you have for your family, we're going to unpack that next week, this word here, love. The love that you have is going to cover a multitude of their sins. That's the Holy Spirit's job is to fix them. Our job is to love. And God's love in your heart will cover all the crud and all the chaos of your not-so-perfect family. Lord, we're just so grateful that we have the holidays and that your heart is for the holidays. We thank you that the third word of Advent is family and that you are for our family. Lord, would you fill us today with not only hope, that things don't have to stay the way they are, not only joy that we can have an incredible, profoundly extraordinary enthusiasm for being alive, but that you could fill us with uh, confidence that you want to move in our not-so-perfect, challenged family. Thank you. Thank you for the promise that you put in uh, your word. And Lord, as we rejoice now, as the kids lead us in worship, we, we say, welcome Holy Spirit in your name. Amen.